0: There is a Redeemer. I love that song. It was beautiful. This morning at the start of worship, Ron Jennings asked me a question. He, he asked if I went wedding dress shopping with the girls on Friday. Uh, my firstborn uh, was visiting from Knoxville, Tennessee, and she and the ladies went out to Columbus and found that perfect wedding dress. And Yesterday, I reluctantly uh, entered the men's warehouse to get my fitting for my tuxedo for the wedding. Uh, they are traveling this morning back uh, to Tennessee, and I, I would covet your prayers for their safety and for their time. Weddings are cause for celebration, and it reminds us of commitments. And one of the greatest commitments that we have comes in Scripture as we begin this morning. Uh, in Revelation chapter 3, uh, verse 3, it says this, Remember, therefore, what you've received and what you've heard. Hold on to it fast and repent. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we begin uh, this message, I just want to bless you again for this table and each opportunity we have to come and remember the sacrifice that you made for us. Father, we don't esteem ourselves very well, and uh, we, we don't deserve all the grace, all the kindness and love that you have Just pour it out willingly for us. And and to come each week and to have such a perfect, visible reminder of what you've done, we're grateful. And uh, Father, I just ask you would help us to be strengthened by your spirit and word, to do exactly what the word says, to hold fast. And Father, when we need to repent, then be gentle, be kind with us, and lead us to that repentance, so that we may know you more dearly and follow you more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I thought it might be fun this morning uh, to do a little survey as we begin about some changes that you may have had in your life in this past year. Uh, Some of you have gone through some major seasonal changes, and I just want to ask for a show of hands on a few of these. In the last 12 months, how many of you have either gotten married or had someone in your family get married? Raise your hand. Okay. Okay. Uh, In the last 12 months, anybody have a a baby or a grandchild? Raise your hand. Okay, a couple. Uh, In the last 12 months, has anybody got a new place? Have you moved? Uh, A different apartment, different, okay. Uh, Anybody driving a different vehicle today than you drove 12 months ago? Okay. Uh, Anybody start a new school, new class, new program in the last 12 months? I know Jeanette has, okay? Uh, anybody have a new boyfriend or a new girlfriend that you've got in the last 12 months besides Janie Fisher? Okay? Anybody want a new boyfriend or no, just don't answer that. Uh, you, you know, change can be fun and it, it can be very exciting and bring lots of, of hope into our life. But any psychologist will tell you that they that intuitively we know all change is stressful. It just is. And one of the things that we have been talking about through this whole series on leveling up is is changing a level within our life to match the level of God's love. To to come closer to matching the level of His grace and a sacrifice that's worthy of Him. And isn't it interesting? We all hope for change. We all long for it. We all work for it. We all pray for it. And when we actually go through it, it stresses us out. I mean, think about all the changes we go through in life. We change where we live. We we are the most mobile society in all of history. We change schools. We change majors. uh, We go through divorces. We go through pregnancies in our family. We change locations of where we we worship. Children leave the nest. Uh, We have spouses who change careers. We lose loved ones. Children return to the empty nest. And psychologists define all of these things that we go through in life in terms of something called LCUs or life change units. And the whole issue is that if you gain too many of these LCUs over time, you start to overload. And it can lead to physical problems like ulcers or migraine headaches, emotional and internal infections as well. And I think the Israelites in the Scripture And many times, I think the church itself, we stack up too many LCUs. But I think particularly, in leaving Egypt, they'd gained so many, they went into overload. You see, for hundreds of years, they had been waiting. They had been praying, looking for the day of, of their deliverance, when they would finally be released from their slavery in Egypt. And when that day came, God delivered them through the leadership and the ministry of Moses and Aaron. And you would think that after leaving the oppression and the poverty and the forced murder of of their oldest children, that they would have been the most grateful, the most positive, the most abounding people on the face of the earth. But if you read Scripture, you know. Instead, they grumbled, they complained, and, and to the point where Moses said to them, I would rather die than lead you for one more day, any minute. And that's why I'm convinced that one of the greatest leadership challenges that Moses had was not getting Pharaoh to release the people to leave Egypt. One of the greatest leadership challenges Moses had, and many times, was to see the struggle that the people had just to change. And for us, I think the struggle with change, it's one of the greatest challenges that we will face individually or as a a church family. Many of you know what it's like to go through uh, some sweeping changes in your life. And some of you, you're you're in the midst of them right now. And so I want to begin by just cutting right to, to the chase and asking the first question on your outline. Why do we hate or resist change so much? Why do we struggle with change? Why does it stress us out? When we consider leveling up when it comes to sacrificing our time, our talent, our treasure, or our testimony. Well, I think one of the things that makes it so hard to change is that we glamorize the past. We are a people who glamorize the past. We have a tendency to remember the good old days as better than they actually were. You ever do that in your life or even in your family conversations? I mean, the the Israelites, they hated living in Egypt. It was miserable, it was oppressive, it was inhumane, and they couldn't wait to get out. And yet once they're out, Exodus chapter 16 records this. Exodus 16, verses 2 and 3. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There, we sat around pots of meat, and we ate all the food that we wanted. You know, do you think that they were remembering things as better than they actually were? They said, but you, you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. I mean, to me, that's amazing, because they are out of their bondage for less than a month, and they're already remembering it as better than it actually was. Evidently, they had forgotten Already about the brutal taskmasters, the work with no pay, the humiliation of, of slavery. And they begin to reminisce and they say, you know, back in Egypt, we sat around literal pots of meat. It was, it was an all you can eat buffet. It was, you know, it was a golden corral to live in Egypt. And now here we are in the desert with nothing to eat. I mean, at least back in Egypt, everybody rolled up their sleeves, we all got involved working together, we all talked, we all shared, and we all did whatever we wanted. But they were glamorizing the past, and we do that. Most of you know that I grew up in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, And sometimes I've mentioned that, I don't talk a lot about it, but I was actually born in a little city in southern Kentucky called Whitesburg, Kentucky. And we would visit my mom's sister there, and and she would talk together about the good old days as they sat around the table, and they would show pictures about these good old days. But growing up in coal mining communities often meant a very hard life. It often meant early death or prolonged suffering for for many of the workers from black lung. Mountain farm families struggled to survive on on subsistence family farms that produced very little food and little caste children were often educated in settlement schools when they were available. Miners, until they unionized, were paid in script and had to buy whatever they wanted from the, the company's stores. Just miles away from where my mom lived and where I was born was a place called Harlan, and it was known as Bloody Harlan. Unemployment there reached 80% by the 1930s. Tuberculosis, polio, uh, all kinds of simple infections would become life threatening because of the lack of health care. But my mom still talks about how good life was back in graveyard holler when life was like that and towns were run, you know, by the Kentucky Mafia, the Marlow's, the Hall's, these, these big coal mining companies. You think she was glamorizing things a little bit? That was the good old days? I mean, you look at the work they did, I mean, no, no thank you. One of the reasons we struggle to accept change when it comes to the giving of our lives completely, to the work and the love and the cause of Christ, is because we have a tendency to think of the good old days as better than they were. Solomon says this in the Old Testament, in Ecclesiastes 7.10, he commands us, do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it's not wise to ask such questions. It keeps us looking back and not at head or at the present. Now another factor that contributes to our struggle with change is this. And I think this is huge. We overlook the good things that we have right now in the present. You know, if, if I was in God's position and I had done all the incredible and miraculous things he did to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and they started complaining to me about their food in the desert, I would have told them, just, just start walking. I mean, just, just take a hike. But instead, God hears their complaint about a lack of food, and he provides a kind of bread from heaven called manna every morning for them to eat. It's delivered fresh every day, and they would scoop it up and eat this, and miraculously, they would collect this, and you would think that because of God's care, they would never complain again but they do. They continue in Numbers eleven six and say, but now, God, we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Every day, God is from heaven straight to their mouth taking care of them. And they say, God, we're tired of the way you do things. We're tired of this manna. There's only so many things you can do with manna. We've had manna hotcakes, manna waffles, flaming manna souffle. Uh, We have had manna bagels, manna latkes, manna cotti. We've had manna burgers. You know, we've had bo manna bread. Uh, And we're just sick of this stuff. You know, sometimes we overlook the good things we have in the present. And we complain. And we say, you know, this this is good. But if I could live there. Or or, 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 or this is a nice car, but man, if I could drive Carol Moore's car, whew, then then I have a nice car, you know. Uh, or, or this is good, but if I could just have here's a, her her truck, and and we can't find a reason to celebrate what God has given. Oh, if I just had their home, if I had their spouse, you know, if I had a, a husband or or a wife like that, if I just had kids like their kids, and I think you know, really. Would you really be more grateful? I heard the story about parents uh, who had 12 children, 12 kids in their family, and they were asked, okay, if you had to go back and do it all over again, would you still have 12 children? And you know what they said? Absolutely. Just not the same 12 that we have now. (laughs) One thing that I've learned in this life is, is if you cannot be grateful in the present, If you cannot be grateful right now with what you have, you're never going to be grateful in the future. And as a church, friends, listen to me, Springfield Church of Christ, if we can't be grateful for the family that we worship with today, if we can't be thankful for the congregation that we're a part of and invest in the fellowship that we have here with what God has given us, if you can't find a reason... To sing, if you can't find a reason to celebrate, to worship before the Lord, to belong and to serve, then perhaps we don't deserve the church that God could make us to be in the future. Appreciate what we have before us. Now there's one other reason that we dislike changing our levels of sacrifice and our talent and treasure, and that's because we fear the future. We're afraid of the unknown. There were many years ago, I was part of a youth group, and as part of what we were doing, we went whitewater rafting in West Virginia. Now, I'd never done that before, and the first thing we did after we signed our waivers was we picked up our paddle and our life vests and our helmets. And before you knew it, we were there at the water's edge, and they started giving us instructions and saying how because of the rains that had come, In the previous weeks that the water was at record high levels which meant that the hazards were even more dangerous and and because we'd already picked up all our stuff and we were there as soon as that instruction was done we got in the boat we didn't have time to think about it or, or backtrack and say you know do do we really want to get into this boat do we really want to do this and so in no time There we were, rafting, paddling, hanging on, screaming, bailing with a five-gallon bucket, trying not to fall out, falling out, trying to keep people pulled back into the, the raft itself, even when our guide got ejected on a small waterfall. And I think, you know, that was good that it all happened that way. Because if we had to go back and get our paddles, if we had to go back and pick up and we had time to wait, the longer we had to think about it, The the more nervous, the more fearful we would have become, the faster our hearts would have been beat. We would have kind of been sick in our stomachs. But because we got into it without delay, it became one of the most memorable events in, in my life. We naturally fear the unknown. And when you talk about being part, a member of a church, there's so many unknowns there. And the longer we think about it, think about going to the doctor. For a procedure or test. If it's tomorrow, it's not as bad as if it's a week from now. Because then you have a week to do what? Think about it and worry. And and as believers in Christ, we're told salvation is now. Today is the day of salvation. When the gospel was presented, people came to the church in 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. And they kept adding daily because there there was no time to step back and say, Let me think about this. There was an adventure to belong to. There was a life to be experienced. And friends, there's times we just got to get in the boat. Start paddling. Start enjoying the fellowship. Start moving downstream together. And you think that all God had done to build the faith of the Israelites, that they knew he was going to be with them in the present and long into the future. He sent the plagues on Egypt that spurred their release. He parted the Red Sea. He gave them manna to eat. He gave them water in the middle of a desert to drink out of a rock. Instead of a GPS system with that annoying voice or having to ask Siri, he sent them directions with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And then when they finally got to the edge of the promised land, it's right where we started this whole series five messages ago. Twelve spies are sent into the land of Canaan. Only two of them, Joshua and Caleb, come back and say, let's do it. We can do it. It's a land prepared by God just for us. Success, a future, a land flowing with milk and honey. And if God is for us, as Scripture would say, who can be against us? But remember what those other ten spies said? Numbers 13, 31 says, but the men who'd gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look like the same to them, and they were paralyzed by fear. We have have all kinds of euphemisms to describe the predicaments we get in. We say that we're in a pinch, in in a pickle, that we're in a pressure cooker we're in a jam we're in a tight spot we're up a we're, we're we're up a creek up a tree up a creek without a paddle we're backed into a we're, we're between a rock and a and we're toast we're behind the eight ball we're dead meat i mean you could say it however you want to these 10 spies come back with quivering lips and they say they're afraid of the future And you know one thing about that kind of fear, uh, and I have to keep mentioning this, it's contagious. It gets into a small group. It gets into a big group. Pretty soon, the, the discouragement of 10 men goes through 2 million people. It can happen in a classroom. It can happen in a family. It can happen in a work group at work. It can happen in a church negativism spreads. And it says in Numbers 14, verse 1 through 3, that night all of the members of the community, two million people, they raised their voices and they wept aloud. And all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? How would you like to be Moses and Aaron in that moment? Ten fearful spies, and now it's grown to over two million complaining Israelites who are buying into fake news, and they're against you. Look what you got us into, Moses. Fear has totally wiped out their faith and this is just the last straw with God. See, God had had enough, and he said, okay, turn around and go back into the wilderness. No promised land for you for 40 more years. And friends, if you can't enjoy change, then you're going to be a resistor of of God's work. Change will stress you out when you glamorize the past, when you overlook the good things you have right now, and when you fear the unknown in the future but when you cling to the love of God perfect love cast out fear now let's move on quickly to our our second and our last question how then can we connect with God in the midst of change you see let me share with you several things I've learned from these Israelites 40-year journey and if you looked in the bulletin you know today is the 23rd anniversary of the Springfield Church of Christ So what have we learned in 23 years? I'll tell you a few things that we've learned and that these Israelites learned. Number one is this. We need to live with a sense of gratitude. Shakespeare once wrote how sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child. And sometimes as Christians, we need to stop biting the hand that feeds us and start taking that hand to lead us. Over in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 10 The Apostle Paul is is talking about the experience of the Israelites in the wilderness. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 6 and 10. These things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. You see, most of us, we don't think about complaining or grumbling as a big deal, do we? We certainly don't think of it as a sin, but evidently it is a huge deal, and it is a sin in God's eyes. And instead of grumbling, the Bible says, rather, in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, We are to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Preacher, what's God's will for my life? There it is. Learn to be a person filled with gratitude in all circumstances. And that means being thankful even for what you and I consider as imperfect gifts. Because other than Jesus Christ and the salvation he brings, friends, every other gift you receive in this life, you can find an imperfection with. For instance, if you're married right now, and you're sitting next to your spouse, you're sitting next to an imperfect gift, aren't you? No, no! Don't let your head get too swollen because they're sitting next to an imperfect gift as well. Okay, and we often see in things in life to the point we don't we lose the magnitude of how special they are and how blessed we are to have them with us. And so, a phrase that I have challenged you to before, and I think it bears repeating. I think about a year ago I challenged you to do this. We all need to to learn the words and say it together. It could be worse. In fact, would you say that with me this morning? It could be worse. So this week or this month when you get your visa bill and it's higher than you thought it was, you're going to say it could be worse. When you walk out of this church today and you get in a car that has 180,000 miles on it and needs new tires, you're going to say it could be worse. Tomorrow morning when you're on your way to work and you're stuck in construction on I-70, you're going to say, it could be worse. When you go home and you walk in the doors of a home that needs a new roof, or it's got leaking pipes or a leaking ceiling, or it needs painting, you're going to look at it and you're going to say, it could be worse. And when you sit down to Meatloaf on Meatloaf Monday and you hate Meatloaf, and you pick up that fork, you're going to say, it could be worse. And when you wake up in the morning and you look over at your spouse sleeping in there, you're going to look at them and you're going to say, no, don't don't say it then. (laughs) We've got to learn to be thankful for imperfect gifts because outside of Jesus Christ, every other gift we receive in life is imperfect. Therefore, there's no perfect church. There is no perfect church this side of heaven. There is no perfect fellowship. There is no perfect study. And another thing I learned, from watching these Israelites and from our 23-year journey is that if you're navigating through change, and and this is a huge one, you got to cling to the rock. You you say, what do you mean by that? I, I get the image, but what do you mean by that, Bill? Sounds a little bit poetic, but a little odd, right? Well, let me show you a comment that was made about the Israelites in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4. It says there that they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock... Was Christ one of the defining moments for the Israelites in, in their forty-year journey before they reached the Promised Land? Was when Moses went upon Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, and Moses was gone longer than anyone had expected, and so the people they began to get bored, and they began to, to be afraid, and they lost their sense of of this rock on which they stood. And they started to slip off, and they took off their their jewelry, they took all of their gold, and they melted it down, and they worshipped a golden calf that they made from it. Not worshipping the God that had delivered them from slavery. Not worshipping the God that had parted the Red Sea. Not worshipping the God that had provided them with manna to eat, or worshipping the God that had led them with that divine GPS system, but worshipping a golden cow. And so Moses comes down the mountain carrying these tablets upon which God had written the Ten Commandments. And he hears first and then later sees what's going on. And he is so disturbed, he is so angry that he dramatically smashes those tablets before their eyes. And Moses takes that that golden calf and he grinds it up into powder. And he mixes it with water and he makes the people drink it. And then in Exodus 32 verse 25, it says, "Moses saw that the people were running wild, and that Aaron had allowed them to get out of control and so became a laughingstock to their enemies." So he stood at the entrance to the camp, and he said, "Whoever is for the Lord, come to me." And all the Levites rallied to him. Now now what is he doing? He's calling them back to the rock. He's, he's saying, whose side are you on? You've got to make a choice. Who's going to stand in their life? Who's going to align themselves with the God that has made us? Who's going to al- align themselves with the God who saved them? The God who's been with us and provided for us? Whose side are you on? And friends, throughout this whole series, I have been praying the Psalmist prayer in Psalm 61 two For myself... And for you. It says there, from the ends of the earth, I call to you. And I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I think some of us, if, if we were honest, we would say we've been wandering a little bit late as of late. And even as a congregation, maybe we've spent our fair share of time wandering in circles in a spiritual wilderness too. Individually, we've gone through changes, changes in in marriages, changes in careers, changes in in families and in health. Think of all the health concerns we have as a church family. We've gone through changes in our makeup as a church and our fellowship. And sometimes we feel like we are in unstable waters, that there is no rock, there is no pier to hold on to. And some of you have gotten involved into some habits right now. For some of you, it's just not coming to church anymore. For some of you, it's situations. For some of you, you're involved in relationships, some actions or some sins. With other people, with your finances, with your computer, with substances. And if anybody here knew it, you'd be ashamed. Or you'd be embarrassed by it and you know it's just wrong. Some of you even here in this congregation, you have built your own golden calves. And instead of standing on the rock of ages, you've made money, your God. Or maybe you've made success, your God. Some of you, you made your children or your grandchildren, your God. Some of you, you made education, or pleasure, or or the farm, your God. And like Moses did 3,000 years ago to the Israelites, I want to ask you that ultimately important question today. Whose side are you on? Who's on the Lord's side? Who will stand with Him? And maybe the thing you need to do in your life right now is to draw a line in the sand spiritually and say, it's time. I stand with the Lord. I stand on his side, and I will stand on the rock, and I will sacrifice all that I am for all that he is. All my time, all my talent, all my treasure, all my testimony. Maybe it's time for you to do what the Bible said right now, and that's time to repent. It's time to turn in a new direction, to repent of your self guided tour of life, to repent of your view of the church that Jesus Christ died to redeem. Repent of the direction your life is leading. Confess your sins. Turn to him so that a season of refreshing may come as you say, I'm on the Lord's side. You want to navigate into the seasons of change for the Lord? Well, you live every day with a sense of gratitude. You cling to the rock. And lastly, you walk by faith. We've talked a lot about faith around here recently. I laid out in this this five-part series a vision for us as a congregation, a vision that I believe helps us fulfill the mission that that Christ gave us in the Great Commission and through his authority. And when I was preparing this message, I came across Hebrews 10.38, which says this, But my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. And that's the the impetus behind my message. You see, not only do I want to take pleasure In you as a congregation, this church, even more so, I want us as a congregation to please God. I want to bring him pleasure. After 40 years of travel, the Israelites didn't have the faith to enter the promised land and and navigate the change that God had in store for them. And so for another 40 years, they, they make circles in the desert sand. And now it's time, 80 years after this whole journey began, to enter the promised land again. Did they have the faith now to enter into God's blessings? You know what? All that first group of adults, they they died out. In fact, the only two that were left were Joshua and Caleb, the ones that had stood up for God. None of the gripers, none of the complainers were there any longer. It was a new generation that would enter the promised land, a, a new group of millennialists, if you would, to the land flowing with milk and honey. How did they handle the obstacles? How did they handle the changes that that were before them? Well, you know how they did it. Hebrews 11.30 By faith. The walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. You see, if you want to navigate changes in your life, you live by faith. When you're encountering obstacles that you can't see over, you can't see around and you can't see under, you go through them with faith in Jesus Christ the one that is greater than all. I close with this story this morning of the early Native Americans. They had a unique practice when they trained their their young braves. After they taught them how to fish and how to hunt and how to scout, it was for a boy's 13th birthday that the rite of passage was he would be taken out into a dense forest at night and left there in the middle of this dense forest. So dense that the light of the moon could not even be seen through the trees. And he would have to spend the entire night there on his own, all alone, exposed to the elements, exposed to the darkness. And it was a terrifying experience. For a 13-year-old boy, every twig that snapped, you had to imagine he would think it would be an animal ready to pounce on him. And all night long, he he would wait for one thing. He would wait for the sun to come up and for the trial to eventually end. And I'm sure it seemed not like a few hours, but rather a month of waiting until that first ray of sunlight found its way through the trees. And they would begin to see the bushes and the flowers and the path. And then to his complete amazement and surprise, he would see his dad standing just a few feet away from With a bow and arrow. A dad who had stood guard all night long, unbeknownst to him. He just didn't know it. Now, can you imagine that 13 year old at that moment? You know, if I'd only known my dad was there, well, I wouldn't have been afraid all night. Some of you are walking through some pretty deep valleys right now. As a congregation, we're coming out of that valley, I believe. And, I, and I'm inviting you in this moment to build an altar to, to, within your life, to offer a sacrifice to grow for the sake of the kingdom of God. And the, the night may seem dark, the night may seem long, and you might feel fear crawling up your spine and the hair on the back of your neck standing up. You might hear the twigs snap, and you may wonder, what, what's coming? What is there around the corner for us? But I want you to know, our Heavenly Father is with us. He's right there watching over us with his strong arm, waiting to hear us say in faith, I'll follow you. I'll trust in you, God. I will cling to you. Faith says, I'll walk with you, God, no matter what comes. And I'll keep my eyes on you, knowing you never sleep. You never slumber. You keep watch." Over me. Let's stand together this morning and let's bow our heads together for prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we have a way of forgetting the good things that you do, that you will do, and that you have done for us. Sometimes we mistake the dark valleys and the deserts that we go through for the valley of the shadow of death when in fact it is just one more opportunity to look to your light to see the glory that you have in store for each one of us in knowing you to see a life that's just lived on some dead end streets and pursuits and for little G gods in this world that count for nothing and exchange them for a path that leads to life eternal. To exchange the little G's for the one big G for you and and just the the day-to-day conversation, the relationship of feeling your hand in ours, feeling your strength at our back, feeling your heartbeat within us. Father, everyone in this room knows where they need to level up in their life. Sometimes it's that time that we wrestle with because time is so precious and and we've convinced ourselves, we know that once we spend time, we don't get it back. But rather than just spending time, help us to invest it. Father, help us to recognize you always first and help us to be examples of what time well spent and used is. For some of us, it's that talent. We come and we celebrate and we worship and we listen and we participate. But, Father, people leave this place hungry because there is a spiritual need that somebody else in this room is able and equipped to meet, but they haven't used that ability and their time to do so. So, Father, would you highlight to them the precious nature of what it means? to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you. Father, for some in this room, it's their treasure. And God, I just long to see you do what you did with the the, the widow's two mites. Just take the pennies and multiply them like you did with the, the loaves and the fish and so many things in this life. God, you are so faithful to amaze us when we trust in you. And then, Father, for the testimony. Just to say, not only I stand for the Lord, but because I stand with the Lord, let me tell you what he means and what he's doing and where he's taking me in this life. Father, we want to have that destiny and we want to share it. But it begins with a decision right here. Some for salvation, some to to become more devoted in following you But whatever your spirit puts on their heart, Father, lead them in a courageous and bold example to move in Jesus' name.